1: Welcome in Rose City to another edition of the Soccer Made in Portland podcast. I'm Ryan Clark, joined by Chris Reifer. And Chris, uh, we have continually discussed the weather on this wonderful podcast pretty much right out of the gate. And uh, you take a look at the, the good old-fashioned uh, weather app uh, for those with uh, Apple products, uh, and you see 70-degree days relatively consistently in the coming week, which uh, bodes extremely well for my mental health. So naturally
0: I am headed off this afternoon to go to crater lake for the weekend. Oh, so nice. it's going to be much colder. I'm, I'm like, ah, it looks like we're going to have a delightful weekend in Portland. So I am out. Peace. See y'all later. I'm going to go <laughs> where it's still pretty dang cold, yeah. uh, but it, it it is also very nice there. And it looks like it's going to be brilliant. Just, you know, just, just nice, nice puffer jacket weather.
1: What are you camping up there?
0: I uh, actually got a, got a spot at the lodge. Uh, sort I, you know, I've never stayed there. I haven't even been to crater lake since I was like a kid. Uh, um, and so we sort of just like put in, you know, months and months ago, we just put in for a random weekend that we could find, uh, to get a spot at the lodge. Cause it's, it's a little bit difficult to get a room, um, uh, and, and got lucky, uh, grabbed a room. And so I, I'm kind of looking forward to that. It feels like a very Oregonian experience that as a as a a fifth generation Oregonian, uh, I have, I have been missing out on. Um, so I'll, I'll be going to check out Oregon's only
1: national park. The only one. Um, is
0: there, is there another place in Oregon that you think is, is national park worthy that, that, that is, is getting the shaft, uh, in, in, in the national park, uh, stuff gotta be some spots on the coast.
1: I would think um, you know, the painted Hills seem like an area yeah, that, that there's, you a know, it should job. be a contender. They, they, um, I think that's the one. Yeah. I, th- I think if you, if you have to pick one, that would have to be it. Um, it's just so remote though, that people genuinely forget about it. You know, it's, right. it's, it's an incredible, um, uh, breathtaking part. Uh, and there are, there are parts of the coast too, that definitely, um, could be in contention for that uh, all along the, the Oregon coast.
0: Yeah, parts of the
1: southern Oregon coast, in
0: particular, I think, are super, super cool. And and I mean, sort of like the Painted Hills. It's not nearly as remote or, or out of the way. But there are parts of the southern Oregon coast that are just breathtaking. Um, and and that very much sort of rival some of the 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 parts of of our various coasts that are that do get more recognition. Um, but that are just spectacular. Uh, you can often see like whale migration going through there because it's a super heavily trafficked area. It's so there. There's some parts there, but I, I think your your shout for the Painted Hills is right. Uh, if if any place in Oregon uh, is is you know getting the snub for national park recognition, I, I think it's the Painted Hills, notwithstanding the fact that it, they are in the middle of absolutely nowhere.
1: Right. Yeah, I don't think we have. Um, a particularly high chance of doing a live podcast from the Painted Hills anytime soon, just given the, no. the cell service. Coverage is, coverage is spotty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, coverage is a little spotty. Not a lot of Wi-Fi hotspots.
0: Would be a big transformation though for the for the city slash town of Burns. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If, if if that got uh, the the christening, the one in in the in the broader Northwest that I am I am somewhat passionate about because I think it deserves national park recognition. Uh, that it doesn't have it. Um but then on the other hand, I sort of wanna would like to keep it a little bit quieter as it is, mm. are the Sawtooth Mountains in Idaho. Uh they're like on the merits, there should absolutely be a Sawtooth National Park. Um but there is not. Uh and and in in some ways that works out because it's still a place that you can go uh and and find some relative solitude.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think that the um the Northwest in general is chock full of of those things. And you know, I, I don't wanna Uh, you know, infringe on the peak Northwest podcast territory too much here, but uh, (laughs) we are two, two gentlemen who enjoy the, the beautiful state that we live in. So we, so you're bringing to an end,
0: uh, our, our, our long running podcast, national parks made in Portland.
1: Yes. I think that the, the (laughs) podcast that began on today, May 19th, 2022, uh, can come to a bitter end now because, again, we don't want uh, the folks at Peak Northwest to be like, what are you doing? Come on, you're taking right. up our space. So, that's right. <laughs> uh, so soccer, uh, which is, is made in Portland, that's our Yeah, discussion. a lot of it made in Portland recently. Yes, pl- a ton of it. I've, I've been out at a bunch of it. Um, the Thorns, we'll, we'll start with them, drew the OL rain zero zero last Saturday, and then uh, last night, Wednesday, uh, drew the Washington Spirit 1-1. to Two really high quality clubs uh, that, to me, will be among the the final few teams left at at the end of the year. I think uh, with the Thorns, when it comes to those contending for an NWSL championship, um, I, I thought that the Thorns played them very well in stretches, but they also, as Reen Wilkinson pointed out last night, had some difficulties in terms of um, finding consistency and you know finishing. Those high quality chances that they're getting, you know, I mean Morgan Weaver is making great runs, uh, Sophia Smith is doing what she does, uh, Christine Sinclair is still a force, still playing eighty plus minutes um, late in her career. So, you know, the the opportunities are there, and they they have stretches where they look elite, uh, but against these teams like and like Washington Spirit. Uh, who defend phenomenally well. Uh, And I think that's a calling card really for the top teams in NWSL is is their ability to defend. Um, I I think they can be happy to get a point out of each of those matches, you know, taking a loss um, in either of them would have been tough for confidence standpoint, but they also had chances in both of those matches to win. Uh, and if you come out of both of those matches with wins, you're 3-0 and and having defeated two teams that are among the class of the NWSL. So, um, you know, some some things to be happy about going forward, and it is early in the season, but uh you know when you get those opportunities against those great teams you got to take advantage of them and and get those victories even if it is early on
0: yeah you know the the rain game i think is the one that they'll probably look back on and and rue some of the chances that they missed uh i thought the thorns were the better team uh in that game by by some distance i i you know sort of like the the last game against the rain i thought the thorns did a really nice job of dictating the game the the chances that they had were were far superior to the chances that the rain had um uh, they were frankly just a little bit sloppy in the final third. Uh, they got into a lot of spots. I mean, it was almost like some of the, some of what we've a, experienced at times with the, uh, w- with the Timbers, uh, this year where they got into a ton of really good spots and then just were not sharp, uh, in, in, in so, sort of converting, getting the, in, into those spots, into goals. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, a, that happens. It's soccer. It's a hard game. <laughs> Scoring goals is the hardest thing to do. That's why it doesn't happen a lot. Um, so that happens. Uh, but it's also, you know, sort of a cautionary tale that, that for, you know, all of the good work that you can do over the course of a game, if you want to beat really good teams like the rain, uh, and even like the spirit, you've got to be really sharp to do it. Um, and even at home, uh, this is, uh, and I, and I think that, you know, in, in some respects, this is, is, you know, sort of just a, a reality and it's a reality that everybody should be pretty comfortable with at this point, um, that NWSL is not sort of the, uh, the kind of league that is there to be dominated. Uh, I actually think Rean Wilkinson on Twitter, uh, sort of nodded at this point, um, uh, in, in, in a, a post game tweet, it may have even been this morning, um, uh, you know when she said, "Kind of like what a league," and and that's right. There there are a number of teams that are really good in this league. Uh, that there, is, that you know, I mean, you you can't be an uh, a Leon or you can't be a Wolfsburg or something like that. And sort of just expect that 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 on that against basically every other team in the league, you can put in a B performance and get a win. Um, if you want to beat the rain, even at home, you got to play really well. You got to be really sharp. If you want to beat the spirit even at home you got to play really well um and i i think there were things to like in both performances uh i th- i think frankly the thorns weren't as good uh against uh against the spirit especially in the first half i thought they were really sluggish and frankly i thought uh the spirit were really winning the x's and o's game um in in, in the first half uh but you know, I mean, uh, you know, the bottom line is, uh, if you have those kinds of challenges against these teams, uh, the the league is good enough and the league is deep enough that that's not going to get the job done, and and that, yeah. that that's where the thorns are, uh, taking two points uh, from these last couple games at home, uh, from which they they certainly would have liked to, and and in some ways looked like they could get more.
1: Absolutely, and um, I think that spirit team in in particular. Uh, defended so well in that first half and and limited a lot of the things that the the thorns like to do. There were also um you know issues of of tactical decisions and and um who Reen decided to start versus who she brought in for the second half. So you start out with Rocky Rodriguez in the midfield uh and only two up top with Sink and and Sofia. Um and, and I don't know how often you can afford to to make a move like that. Yes, Rocky is a great player and she she played admirably well in the first half despite the the strength of the Spirit's defense. but um, Morgan Weaver is a player that can't really be shoehorned into being just a, a second half sub uh, because she she made such an incredible difference with her play uh, when she came on in the second half. And then you have somebody else like Janine Becky who, if you are going to play those three the entire game, uh, if, if one of them needs a substitute more often than not, it'll probably be Christine Sinclair. Um, you bring Becky on and she's, she's a starting good. caliber player and yep. she didn't even get in last night. You know that she's somebody who would start on a lot of NWSL teams and she was a DNP. So,
0: right, 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 right. Um, you know, the, the thing that, that I thought really, really troubled the thorns and I'm not sure why this was because this hasn't been a problem when they've played in, 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 sort of a, a, a similar setup and sort of a three, five, two setup in the past. Um, but they were really, really, really getting squeezed by the spirit. Um, and, and you're right that it was, you know, it, it, it was just really hard for the thorns, frankly, to build up through the middle. And so the typically excellent play, uh, and, and progressive play that we see from, uh, Hino was just being choked off uh, by the spirit, um, I I I, th- I thought Rocky Rodriguez did not have a, uh, a lot of room to move. I I really felt like especially Christine Sinclair got isolated, uh, being moved up into one of the forward roles, which I thought led to that halftime move of bringing Weaver on, uh, bringing Weaver on for for Rodriguez, which I thought was 100 the right move. I I, I think I, I think that's one that that Reen Wilkinson really nailed. Because whereas the game was getting really compressed uh, and it felt like the Thorns over and over and over again were having to play into really just the teeth uh, of uh, uh, of the spirit central midfield, I thought yeah. once Weaver came on, she did a good job of stretching the field vertically, of get, of of basically using her pace and her threat in behind that that Sink wasn't able to provide uh, to stretch the field to give a little bit more space for Sink when she was able to drop in, in a little bit deeper what, what was curious to me and what I didn't understand is obviously when you play in a, in a three five two or, or or any sort of setup where you have a three or five player back line you're gonna be counting on your wingbacks to to provide a lot of that that mid possession width um and they just weren't and I I didn't exactly figure out why uh they weren't being able to play through Kling and and Quica. Um, which is what, what they really needed to try to do to try to relieve some of that congestion, uh, centrally. Um, and I don't know if it's because Kling and Kweka felt like they were getting pinned in by the spirits, admittedly excellent wing play. Um, the, the spirit are really good on the wings. They're really dangerous in wide areas. Uh, and so, you know, it may have just been that they felt like they were getting pinned in by that and they couldn't, they didn't feel like they could take the risks early enough in possession to, to provide that width, um, for fear of getting beat in behind. But again, that's, that's also why you play with the three, right? You play with three center backs to, to provide a little bit more cover and, and, and to give your wingbacks more Liberty, uh, to take those kinds of early risks than they have when you're playing in a four. So I, I don't know why that was such a struggle. um, and, and but it was and, and, and I think you're right that a lot of the credit just goes to the spirit, uh, both in terms of, of how they were dangerous in the attack and the way the way they defended and the way they really locked down the thorns in that first half. But I, I also agree that Morgan Weaver made all the difference there and, and, and sort of broke that log jam uh, in the game and made for a really entertaining second half, uh, second half in which both teams had some very, very near misses uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and came out with what was in the end, probably a fair one one result. Oh, um, yeah. but, but, you know, I, I, I think that is, you know, we talked about, uh, last week or, or maybe the week before about how, you know, that three player back line really makes a lot of sense for the Thorns personnel. Um, that's a problem that they're going to have to figure out because the, the spirit aren't the only team with good wing play. The spirit aren't the only team, uh, that can bog down a game in in, in the middle. And so I think that's something that, that, that Rena is probably going into the week. Um, I think she needs to, to, to figure out, uh, with how they're going to play going forward.
1: Definitely. And I, and I think that Morgan's, uh, just constant presence is, is such a valuable thing for them. Uh, and Peterson from the AP, uh, she usually sits next to me at, at, thorns and timbers games. She commented that, uh, that Morgan is like a gnat, you know, she's just always like in your face, won't leave you alone. She's just moving, moving, moving constantly. And I think that's huge. Um, it, it counteracts a lot of the physicality. I think that, that the spirit bring, um, and somebody who, uh, admittedly, uh, having spoken to her about it, uh, is adjusting to the physicality of the NWSL game is Hina Sukade. Um She's somebody who has a slighter frame at uh, the game really in Japan. It. Yeah, it, it, it's really different over in Japan in terms of the physicality. Uh, so she talked about that from the jump once she got here, that that's something she's going to have to work through. I thought she... Was better in that game than she has been in the past in terms of, um, you know, trying to be as physical as she can be given her frame. But there are also moments where she gets so hemmed in and, and is out physical in ways that it really limits her game. And, you know, a lot of what they do goes through her. Uh, she's one of the better players on the team. So, uh, being able to stymie somebody like that and, and really keep them, um, in a position of being essentially a non-factor for a lot of that first half and in, into parts of the second half. Uh, I think that was key. And, um, you know, Sophia Smith's brilliance is the reason why the Thorns were up 1-0. Um, it's a shame that that they conceded the the one to to bring it back level, but um, I, I think another shout out should definitely go to Bella Bixby for Uh, Her play and goal, and everybody on the team uh, shouted her out after the game because she was just unbelievably tough. The double save was crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was that was insane.
0: The double save was was the best goalkeeping moment we've seen in Portland this year, hands down. Period. Yeah, and that was
1: after she had uh, she had banged heads with with a player, the player who scored for Washington. So it's um, Ashley Hatch. Yes, Ashley Hatch. So. Uh, they were both down for a, a couple of minutes there having to recover, and she just pops back up and makes a bunch of incredible saves down the stretch that prevent Portland from taking an L at home. You know, So yeah. she she was the person of the match last night, and rightfully so. She uh, set a club record, I think, over 400 consecutive minutes without allowing a score prior to that header that went in from Hatch. So, That's um, crazy. I, I yeah.
0: totally lost track of that. That's wild.
1: Yeah, so it, it's pretty... Uh, Pretty awesome for her to have that distinction, especially given the history of great goalkeepers for this uh, this club. So um, she's somebody who is is unbelievably reliable in that position, and I think that the Thorns can be um, can rest easy knowing that even if they are still working out the kinks in terms of how they they want to approach defending some of these teams that are like Washington, um, that they've got somebody like Bella back there to to hold it down. It's huge, uh, you know, and,
0: and, and the thorns have also had, had a decent amount of, obviously they're still working, uh, Becky Sauerbrunn back into, to full fitness. She played 45 minutes, which is, you know, sort of the, the predictable stepping stone, um, from where she was at. That's kind of the, the, the normal buildup. Um, and, and, and so, you know, they're figuring out how, how they're going to, they're, they're, they're going to make that work, um, going forward as, as Becky's going to, going to be getting into the game, uh, more and more, you got to think next time out, she'll, she'll, well, I mean, given the tight turnaround, she might not, uh, take a big step up immediately, but over the course of the next couple of weeks, she'll probably be back to full fitness. Um, and so, uh, and so that's, uh, that, that's something that, that is still very much a work in progress as a lot has been for the Thorns team over the course of the first part of the season. Um, but still, you know, I mean, it's, it's, we've been talking a lot about how they look really healthy systemically, um, even notwithstanding some of these things that, that you need to figure out and that's inevitable over the course of every season, um but notwithstanding that sort of systemic health and and the good work that they've done to 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 generate that so early in a in what was otherwise a transitional year um they gotta get some of these results and uh and you know i I think you got uh, you you saw that in the challenge cup against the rain um you saw that uh on the weekend against the rain and you saw that uh last night against the spirit as well um where you know these are good games they're in good games they're playing well uh even or they're playing well you know pretty well uh in these good games against good teams but you got to get some of these results if you want to be where this team can go
1: definitely and i think there's an opportunity to um get a victory on saturday another home game for for the thorns against the houston dash uh 3 p.m kick at providence park on saturday uh, you get a win there, uh, then you have a week to prepare to go on the road and play Chicago Red Stars, who are uh, typically a really solid club, and they showed that throughout the Challenge Cup. Uh, then you're back home uh, against Angel City FC, an expansion side that's, that's struggling a bit. Uh, that game against Angel City will be on June 3rd. Uh, from there, um, healthy mix of, of home and road games throughout the months of June and July, and um, a team that, that has really surprised me in terms of their early season play uh, in NWSL has been the San Diego Wave. Um, been great. You can never be surprised fully by a team led by Alex Morgan, but even then, um, given how they looked in the Challenge Cup, they still did look like a team that had, had some growing pains to do as an expansion side. But so far this year, they've been great and, and have shown their mettle.
0: Yeah, and I think we saw sort of the, the the a microcosm of the progression in the one game that we saw in Portland. Uh, you know, where in, in in the first half in that Challenge Cup game, San Diego didn't look on the level. Right, you know, I mean the the Thorns crushed them. It wasn't competitive. Um uh, and in the second half you really saw a team coming together. Uh and and they've they've looked since then a lot more like that team that we saw in the second half, uh, than than the team that we saw in the first half in Portland. And so uh they they very much look to be of the two expansion teams, uh they're the one that's get that's you know, received less less press, um, uh and and, and less media attention, notwithstanding the fact that they have some bona fide stars and like Alex Morgan. Um but they also look like the 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 more coherent of the two expansion teams, and 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 yeah. like the one that that is more likely, uh,
1: to 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 make some noise and to cause some some problems on the table, for sure. And and, and I should say that Angel City FC team, um, serious home field advantage, uh, something really yep. exciting in terms of um, the attendance numbers that you you see down there at Bank of California Stadium. Um, I think that there's a real desire. Uh, to to continue to build on that uh, in terms of the, the fan support for that club. So good for them in that regard. Um, you one, know, before one, we move on, yes. oh, go ahead. Oh, well, one note on that subject, and this may have been what you were about to bring up, um, is is the attendance numbers at the Thorns games uh, to start this season um, haven't necessarily been where they've been in the past. Um, I don't know if, they, if the off-field – Concerns for fans are contributing to that or um, it's just a matter of timing or uh, cost or, or however that shakes out. But um, I think that's unfortunate because this is a this is a very high level Thorns team that has played some exciting opponents in these first uh, trio of home games.
0: Yeah, it's something that should be getting folks attention. Um, and, and you know, I know that there are always reasons. <laughs> Reasons or excuses, depending on on sort of which side of the of the you know how you're looking at it, which side of the coin you fall on. Um, but there are always reasons when 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 you sort of look at one-off games. But yeah, uh, against the rain, yes, I know the weather was terrible. Um, I was there, albeit undercover, so well, <laughs> you know, kind of sitting in the cheap seats on that one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, the the weather was terrible. But still, that was a a very empty stadium. For a rain thorns game. And that's not something we're used to seeing, you know, again, last night, midweek game, all of the things that come along with that, uh, but we haven't had and seen too many rain game or excuse me, uh, thorns games, uh, especially against a good team, uh, over the years that have drawn fewer than 10,000. Um, and, and although I thought the crowd was lively, uh, last night and, and was bought in, um, that should be something that should be really setting off some, some alarm bells. Uh, and you know, I mean, I, 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 think we could probably talk until we're blue in the face about why it is, Um uh, but it should have folks attention, uh, because it's, it, it's an issue and it should be something that, 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 uh, they should be tackling with urgency.
1: Definitely. Because I think there's more room with the, the Timbers for, for quote unquote error in that regard, because, um, Timbers games in general, draw more of a casual audience to to fill in the spaces of fans that might not be showing up as compared with with thorns games um so when you look at those numbers and how they they appear at least visually i I don't have the exact numbers in front of me but visually um, they appear to be significantly less full uh than they were last year um you know give it some time obviously give it a couple weeks see how trends continue but it Additionally it is it is something that I think needs to to be looked at and discussed and examined as to why that is early on in the yeah. season. No
0: no question uh it's you know if you are if you're falling in love and getting drunk on the reasons uh I think you're going to miss a, a, a bigger picture here. Um and and I hope that's not the case. Uh where I wanted to go before we move on to the men stuff uh is I I think we have to talk about it because it's just such a significant moment. Um the women's national team and men's national team CBAs that, that will, I mean, uh, that, that, you know, just to sort of lead off the segment, uh, that equalize the pay between the women's and and men's national teams, uh, and, and is pretty clever in the way it does it. Uh, one of the big issues that we've, we've known about for a long time. Uh, we've known for a while that the women's and men's teams were negotiating their CBAs together. Um, so it's going to be a single CBA that uh, applicable to to uh, both senior national teams, uh, but one of the big issues uh, that we've known was going to be a challenging one for them to figure out uh, is was World Cup prize money because the the prize money for the last place team in the men's World Cup is significantly more than the prize money for the first place team in the women's World Cup, which is obviously a FIFA driven issue, but it ends up. I mean, having a very, very real effect uh, on uh, on the the compensation for the women's and men's national team players. they ended up solving that uh, by pooling all World Cup prize money uh, and then distributing 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 it equally between the teams. Um, but, you know, setting aside the details because the details are interesting only to nerds. Uh, like me. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The details are only interesting to nerds. This is, this is an earthquake in the sporting landscape. This is a transformational moment. And I don't think you can possibly give enough credit to the women's national team players. And it really has been the players that have just been relentless in trying to get this result. They've changed sports period. They've changed sports. They, I mean, Frankly, when they when they started this fight, and it's been a fight, they have fought every single moment, every single way, every single tool they had, they've used to get this done. It's been difficult. But when they started this fight, and you really started seeing this sort of starting to bubble up around the time that NWSL got going. Um, it it had certainly been an issue before that to be to be sure, Um, but sort of like I think the modern fight here had had started you know it, it probably in the range of of eight or ten years ago. I remember thinking this is good. I hope they make progress. I did not take seriously the idea that they might actually fully equalize pay between the national teams just because the the inequalities in sports are so entrenched and so universal that it just seemed like a pipe dream. Holy cow. Like (laughs) they did it like unbelievable job, unbelievable job, um, of, uh, uh, of this group of players who have driven this process, um, have done something that, that I don't think we have maybe ever seen in sports. Um, and, uh, I I like sometimes I'm kind of cynical <laughs> about athletes, frankly. Really? Um, oh no. yeah. <laughs> right. Shocker. <laughs> That's a shocker. Um and, you know, and, and and about sport and and you know the, the, the way things work within it. Um and you know, the the, the the just the power of athletes within sport. Um they cut through an awful lot of that cynicism. <laughs> Uh, by doing something that, that is truly incredible, um, truly historic, uh, and I think we can hope, uh, is, is just the first break of, of, of several, uh, glass ceilings in, in the sporting world. So enormous credit to them. Um, a, uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't have enough words, incredible thing that they've done. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, the, uh, they are going to get, and, and future generations are going to get the compensation that they deserve, um, because of it. But maybe even more importantly, they have completely changed a paradigm in sports. Um, that is cool. And now you think about the possibilities that can flow from this and it, you, I mean, it, it opens up so many doors. So congratulations to them. Um, a, a supporting, actor credit goes to the men's national team, um, for, for helping this process. But let's be clear, this was, this was led by the women's national team players. Um, they did this, uh, and, and they, they, they deserve ju- just immense credit, uh, for, for making history.
1: Absolutely. And, and you think about the hurdles that they face and you touched on it, uh, just these baked in institutional, uh, blockades, really, that that prevent something like this from happening. Um, and just the average person's opinion you you ask on this, you know, the average male sports fan who will, you know, come up with all of these ridiculous excuses like, well, they don't do this, they don't do that. They don't generate revenue here. They don't have the TV ratings there. And then systematically, every single one of these women who were involved in this just went, Box by box, checking off the things, uh, proving why the, those arguments were completely wrong, and that's that was the reason essentially why they earned this opportunity to to equalize pay in a way that has not been seen as you noted anywhere in sports, uh, and and can pave the way for so much more in terms of not only uh, compensation for these these athletes, but. You know, equity of opportunity on television, equity of uh, really people paying attention to the sport and understanding its importance on a level playing field with the men's side. Um, you you look at there's Thorns players, past and present, who contributed heavily to to this. Uh, one of them currently is Becky Sauerbrunn. She talked about it last night. Uh, Ann Peterson asked great questions of Becky regarding this and. Um, she noted that you know she always had hope they would reach this point but didn't know when it was going to happen if at all and there were days where she didn't think it was going to happen while she was still playing but it did and and there are so many young players who will benefit directly from that one of them uh, is another thorn sophia smith a 21 year old player who is coming up in this generation uh you already see it with her she she's getting um, sponsorship deals and attention nationally that young up-and-coming stars in the past, even household names like Alex Morgan and and others that we know over the years from the U.S. Women's National Team, um, they didn't have those type of things that early in their career. And you add on top of that this opportunity for equal pay uh, and and cashing in on the prize money for what is very likely going to be continual high-level World Cup success for the women's national team and and success in all manner of other tournaments. Uh, It's a special moment, and it's really exciting for the sport and for these women who um, are woefully underappreciated and, frankly, underpaid uh, when it comes to a lot of their professional contracts. Um, And so this is an opportunity for the elite among those in the U.S. to to earn what they deserve based on the work that they put in, because it's not easy to to balance all this stuff. You know, it would be easy enough or difficult enough, I should say for them to, to be fully dedicated to their club careers and, uh, busting their butts for for their teams, um, that they play for in their individual cities. But the, the time commitment and the, the hours and energy it takes to bounce around and go play for these national teams, um, it it is a serious serious thing it's not just a fun hobby on the side and they deserve to be paid for it as in full as can possibly be and this is this is the case now with this opportunity to be paid equally
0: in many ways it's i think we lose sight of it because it's just so jarring but it's it's impossible to overstate the extent to which these Sexist inequalities are just baked into sports all across the sporting landscape, just baked in to the point where they're, they're just, what is they're unexamined in many instances. Yeah. I mean, one, one example that I I just have some personal experience with, uh, is, uh, NCAA cross country running men race 8,000 meters. Women race 5,000 meters. There is no reason for it. Like no reason for it. (laughs) Somebody years and years ago just decided that that's how it should be. And that's how it still is to this day. And it's, it's because there is just sexism baked into the institution and it's baked so deeply into it that there's, that there's just inertia and, and here we are in 2022 and it hasn't changed. that's what they were up against. I mean, that is the depth of the, of the inequality and the prejudice that they were up against in making this change. And it wasn't just about changing the distance of a race. That's an easy change to make, even though it somehow hasn't happened. Hmm. They like they were getting equal. They were, they were trying to get equal pay for women's sports with, uh, with men's sports. It is, it is revolutionary. It, it, it is, it is, groundbreaking and historic and i I can't express even how impressed by them uh, I am and and I mean the the debt of gratitude, frankly that that all of us who care about sport, who love sport um owe to them for for doing this, for doing what what I thought was impossible um and they've thankfully proved me and 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 so many others wrong. So we all owe them an enormous amount. Uh, the players who come after them o- owe them an enormous amount, uh, and uh, I hope people them re- you know people remember this group of national team players that have so diligently pursued this uh, as the legends that they are because they're legends.
1: Definitely, and the, it's it's not just this big empty gesture. You know, it's it's literally lives and livelihoods, and something that. I think deservedly so, as you noted, is going to be in the history books in, in terms of what this means for sport generally on a global scale. Uh, shifting gears a little bit to to the timbers, there's no easy segue here. Uh that was obviously a much, <laughs> much talk about more important much less topic. Important. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. doesn't mean anything. If you wanna if you wanna stop listening now, that's fine. I don't care. Actually, please do keep listening, but um, just know that this uh, this is seriously not nearly as important of a topic as the one that we just were discussing. Uh, so the Timbers on Saturday, uh, 7-2 to over Sporting Kansas City. Uh, and we'll just start there uh, and move on to the San Jose game later. Um, that was one of the crazier, zanier atmospheres I've ever uh, been a part of at Providence Park. Uh, everything that that the fans have um, felt and gone through early in the season, all the struggles that the Timbers themselves as a, a team have, had had prior to that game, uh, just disappeared into this like smoke filled cloud of euphoric glee in front of that uh, that crowd at Providence Park, and it was nuts. Seven goals. I, it's obviously a club record, as as has been noted anywhere and everywhere if you don't know that by now then uh congrats on on learning something that it pretty much everybody else already knew yeah google it google it use the internet again for things other than yelling at people um find <laughs> some information out so <laughs> yeah just an exciting game um showcased i think the potential of this team against a, a lowly 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 uh, sporting kansas city side that was in my view, definitely the worst team Portland's played all year. Um, just not not even in the same stratosphere in terms of the way they were defending Portland and just Swiss cheese defense, allowing Nathan Fogasa and Sebastian Blanco to just tear them apart. So, fun stuff.
0: What odds, given the Timbers' form going into this game, what odds would you have given to the Timbers scoring seven goals? Is, there, is like is there a number high enough? <laughs> I, I,
1: honestly, if you were to like put that on DraftKings or any other uh, betting site of your choice, um, I don't even think they would let you bet on that. Right. That's how <laughs> unlikely it is because obviously you know seven is a club record, uh, eight is the MLS record set by the Galaxy. Um. So, so they scored if,
0: one goal over the previous like four hundred some odd comp- all competition minutes.
1: Yes, it was. It was truly horrific in terms of their ability to score goals before that. So you're talking all those factors in there. I mean, that's like a plus five thousand at the least if they even <laughs> let least. you bet on it. Like it's just, or even a it, it could be a plus ten thousand type of prop bet that you're talking about there, which is um a, an astronomical amount of of money if if you were to even put a dollar on something like that so you're um it's one of those things where you wish you had like a you know back to the future type situation sports almanac type thing um and and we're able to go back and and put money on that (laughs) just imagining uh the the riches that would come your way but but yeah i mean that's totally unexpected something like that
0: totally wild um you know and it was uh it the, the Timbers played well in the, in the game. I I, I think you, you, the only way you get a result like that is if two things happen: the Timbers play very well, and Sporting Kansas City played very poorly. <laughs> you need both of those uh, to happen in order to get to seven two, and and both of those things happened. Um, uh, I I I you know it's 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 a little bit unfortunate that we didn't have this conversation before the San Jose game because I think that uh that in in many ways sort of colors the conversation, but it probably also refines it too. Um, insofar, insofar as, you know, that what we can take away from this game is probably a little bit limited. Um, but there are also real things. Uh, I, I thought the Timbers structure in the game was, was really, really good. Uh, and it showed that when they can have that central midfield of Diego Chara, Christian Paredes and Eric Williamson, there are real opportunities for the, for, for this attack and, and, and for the team overall. Um, one of the things that I really like about it is, it in many ways turns a, a weakness of a shape into a strength, and what I mean by that is, so a, a four through three. One of the sort of just like textbook things about it is that if you're defending in in a four through three, and the Timbers did that a little bit more uh, in this game than than they sometimes do, where even if their attacking shape is as, as a four through three, they flatten out into a four four two in defense, and 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 you know you certainly get to that point. But they did defend a decent amount uh, in in sort of a with a, a three man midfield, and the sort of the book on it is the way you attack that is by pushing your fullbacks fairly early, right? Uh, in, in fact, many teams will go to to a three man back backline um, so that they can have wingbacks and they feel like they can really do that. Um, SKC didn't; they they sort of stuck to their their base set, which is also a four three three, and they pushed their fullbacks on early to try to create with, because, uh, you know, I mean, th- that's how you take advantage of having one fewer player in the midfield. You force, uh, the central midfielders to rotate earlier, uh, that create, that opens up some space then, uh, that you can either play into the channel, um, or, 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 or continue to play out wide depending on how the defense reacts, but that's how you do it. That's sort of the, the, the textbook, uh, weakness in it. The way it turns into a strength, though, especially when the Timbers have Sebastian Blanco on the field, is that starting spot, basically right behind that fullback who's pushed on early, that opposing fullback who's pushed on early, is like Blanco's sweet spot. He loves to pick the ball up wide, somewhere around midfield or in the midfield, and then drive in as he gets into the final third. And he did it over and over and over and over again in that second half, and that's like half of, like how the Timbers scored half of their goals, um, which was just ridiculous, of course, in the way it played out. Um, but it sort of turns that weakness of the shape into a strength and into a counter-attacking strength uh, for the Timbers. So I, I really like that setup. I think it has a lot of potential. Um I think we saw it again in the second half against against San Jose and it didn't go nearly as well. Um, you know, and, and, uh, and so the, the, I, I think we need to slow our role to the extent that we're saying, you know, now the Timbers are, are, you know, to, back to the team that we expected them to be or that they become, uh, over the course of the summer, they've still got some work to do. Um, but i I think putting a touchdown uh, with the extra point on on SKc uh shows that there is at least a there there um that 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 the timbers are are, are reaching toward.
1: yeah, and I, I think that um, that game in particular, um I, I think it's good to revel in those type of moments and enjoy them for what they are uh, but but to have a, a little perspective on on what that means going forward. And I think that San Jose game provided that that type of perspective like oh yep reality still exists you know um, and we can talk about that more momentarily but um, one additional note I had on on the um, 7 to 2 game was um, the excellence obviously of Nathan Fogas and, and it's been a, a topic of discussion um, throughout the week uh, and and the, the day after I mean people um, were like photoshopping his face you.
0: I'm going to remind you that you repudiated your hot take that he is the answer.
1: I did. And, you know, I think it's, it's important. Just to, for the record. Yes. It's, it's important to note that I have no spine and that my opinions are, are simply at the whim of whatever's happening at the moment. Um, <laughs> so, uh, my, my initial hot take, which I was like semi forced into was that Nathan Fogasa was quote the answer. Right. <laughs> and, um, then, you know, folks were generally a little disappointed with his signing as compared with somebody maybe of a higher level at the striker position. And so I backed up a little bit. I was like, eh, nah, just kidding guys. No worries. And then of course he explodes has like the one of the best debuts in team history and looks like the answer and everybody's talking about it on Twitter like, oh, I think he is the answer. You know, there were individuals that even said that specifically um to us. So it's it's funny um how things work in, in this up and down zany sport that is major league. You're soccer.
0: like Leonardo DiCaprio's character in the Titanic at the end. <laughs> where you, 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 you were on this raft, right? Like you, you, you had this, you had this take, you were on the raft. There's room for me on the raft. There was plenty of room for you on the, on the raft. Nothing. Nobody made you jump off. Nobody made you let go. <laughs> there was on the raft, but you let go for reasons that are, that are unclear. And, and now you have drowned in your ability to, uh, to wallow and in, in what would have been a pretty good hot
1: take. It would have been. It would have made me look like I know what I'm talking about, you know. And it, and it would, <laughs> I, I allowed the frigid waters of my insecurity to to just drown me. That's right. uh, uh, as Rose, as Rose, also known as uh, Nathan Fogasa, just sat on the raft waiting, waiting for somebody to to join him in his in his joyful rest of his life.
0: I like that. That because this is now a Titanic podcast. I yes. like that that glaring plot hole has like spun off a whole bunch of conspiracy theories of people trying to explain that.
1: Yeah. It's hilarious.
0: Um, yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it's wild. I don't know why people, I mean, it, that is very much a movie that isn't, that is not aged well and has gone from like winning Academy awards and people being like, oh, this is one of the best movies in a long time to basically just a series of memes.
1: Yeah. I, and I, you know, the art form, not, not to get too deep here. You know, you're, you're talking to a person that fashions themselves as a as a burgeoning cinephile, but um, <laughs> the art form has has changed so much in the last 25 years that you know movies that were viewed as classics at the time, um, some of them just don't hold up. You know, <laughs> I, I take a and maybe you know critics kind of panned it at the time anyway. But Top Gun is an example of one. I, I watched it, and, and people who follow me on Twitter know that I watched it uh, recently for the first time. Uh, I'm one oh, of the, wow, really? the few people who had not indulged in, in the hot, sweaty beach volleyball playing Tom Cruise flick that is Top Gun. Uh, I wanted to because I, I have a desire to, to see the new one uh, as it comes out. Um, but, you know, movies in general, um, there are certain ones that hold up uh, because their their themes are. Pretty universal in terms of the human experience, and can um, can be watched today with with the same type of reverence as if it were to come out today. Uh, but ones like Titanic, I mean, most of the reason why it still even really has relevance is uh, the fact that it was a launching point for for somebody like Leo DiCaprio, who who became a, essentially hollywood's last major movie star you know movie stars don't wow. exist in the level that they that they did in the old days uh and, and he's he's kind of up there as kind of the last old version of what a movie star is if that makes i sense. also
0: think that era of movie is visually just super cringy because it was sort of <laughs> the the early years of, of widespread use of CGI, but it's such bad CGI (laughs) that that, like in many ways, those, those movies, you know, I mean, those movies just are just like visually really difficult to watch even more so than movies that came before it when they just weren't relying on CGI. Like they, they look uh, in, in many respects, a movie from like the late eighties looks better (laughs) and, and like looks like a more modern movie than some of those that that were in 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 the late '90s and early 2000s when they were sort of like just breaking into this the, this world of uh, uh, of CGI. So
1: yeah, and and you know you look at you know not to not to harp too much on movies here. We'll we'll get back into the soccer momentarily, but. Um, I
0: mean do you really want to talk about the Timbers game in
1: San Jose? Not really. No, but but I'm I'm happy to happy to <laughs> do it, you know, fall on that sword for for the the Timbers fans that are interested, but um you look at a movie like Avatar, right? That came out a good many years ago. Uh, was innovative in terms of its use of CGI. The trailer for the second one comes out and everyone's like, "Oh, cool, you know, Avatar's back and stuff." Doesn't look too dissimilar to the to the one that came out back then. and at this stage with the way technology has advanced, particularly with CGI, it looks kind of like a video game cutscene, man. like it's <laughs> you're you're not really getting a lot out of that like, whoa, like this is visually stunning. It's like, oh yeah, there's that movie that came out in 2008 or whatever that <laughs> yeah. there's another one that looks exactly the same. It's like, uh okay
0: okay well back to soccer anyway that was that was quite that was quite the tangent yeah let's Um, let's
1: pull our ponytails out of the flying dragon things or whatever that they had in avatar and and jump back on the soccer field yes
0: back to soccer uh one last note from the skc game and this comes uh this comes from mike donovan uh who you know anybody listening to to this podcast yeah stat man emeritus um for for the timbers and thorns anybody listening to this podcast you should know who he is if not once again google it although slightly more obscure google uh google search than becky (laughs) Sauerbrunn. uh but that was uh nathan's was the 50th uh brace in timbers mls history which is i mean notable because we like round numbers um but also notable because they still don't have a hat trick in Timbers MLS history. And that's, that's just wild to have 50 braces, 50 players who over the course of the Timbers MLS experience have been on a hat trick and never to have one. That's, that's pretty amazing. And I also just want to have a tip of the cap um, to uh, Gio Savarese, carrying on the Timbers long tradition of subbing off uh, players (laughs) who are on a hat trick. (laughs) It's uh, it's lovely. I love it. I hope it. I mean, I'm at the point where I almost hope I I wish all the success in the world for the Timbers, because unlike you, I am not a neutral journalist. Um, uh, I almost hope we keep the streak going because (laughs) for the memes alone. Exactly. Just exactly. uh, Because it's just funny. And so, you know, it'll be fun that one time when somebody gets a hat trick, but we will then lose the joy
1: of this absurdity. Yeah, and and Saba was talking about how he he kind of wanted it too. He, he he goes, yeah, but I had a better angle on the pass than the shot, and it's like, dude, you're up like what five to two or six to two at that point. You know, let her rip, come on! Like it's just it, at that point, um, in in a game like that where you know you're gonna get your your butt down there and have opportunities, uh, it it's just inevitable. I mean, you know, Santi Moreno and. And Marvin Loria came on late, and were smelling blood, and they they both scored with with no problem whatsoever. It was like a freaking scrimmage against a high school team. So, yes. Yes. um, th- that uh, with all the joy that came with that KC game, uh, mm-hmm. brought down to earth, obviously by San Jose, a mm-hmm. uh, lot less joy there. Um, you know, if there is something to be said, at least it wasn't a Boba that you know tore him up. Cause that would have kind of I been, disagree. been a knife I to the heart. I
0: disagree. Even though he didn't get on the score sheet, I thought Jeremy of tore them up. The okay.
1: Goal. Yeah. I, I, you watched more of the game than I did. I was, I was busy with the thorns. So I uh, looking just at those who scored uh thankfully uh, for the Timbers, it wasn't a Bo-Besey. but even then um you know, a three to two loss on the road at a team that um, is hovering in the same area. You are near the bottom of the, the West standings, not ideal. You know, you, you look to get a win out of that, um, in, in the hopes of maintaining your momentum that you picked up in that explosion of a game against sporting Kansas City and, and now you are kind of back to where you were.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it, it was in many ways back to where they were. The Timbers two goals came off the set pieces, which hey, like I'm I'm definitely not among the folks who think that set piece goals like shouldn't count or something like that they do and they should. Uh, it's an important part of the game and 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 good on the Timbers because they haven't scored a ton uh on set pieces except through the one guy in, including the one who scored one of them, uh Bill Quiilama, uh scoring on on various free kicks, but corner kicks haven't been super productive for the Timbers and they scored on two of them in this game. Uh and so I think I think you can be uh you can be enthusiastic about that. That's good. Um uh, but you know, I mean in, in the end the the, the Timbers Again, I don't love using single game xG numbers, but I'm going to use a single game xG number. Timbers had less than one xG in this game. Um, it's not like the Timbers were creating tons of chances. San Jose was up around two. They were, um, and so you know, San Jose winning the game was was I think fair in many ways. I think the Timbers were flattered a little bit um, by having uh, by getting two goals and and being as in the game as they were because especially the last half hour or so, it was all quakes. Um, and, uh, and you know, I, I think Jeremy of did really hurt the timbers in this one. I think on two of the three goals, his fingerprints are all over him. He is, he assisted the first one. Uh, he, he beat, um, he, he beat, uh, Pablo Bonilla and, and sent in a really good cross. Uh, you know, Jackson, Ewell cra- is, is crashing, uh, the box Santi Moreno and, and Justin Rasmussen don't communicate to track the run. Um, and you know that's one one, and it was largely because Ebobisi uh, a demanded the ball back from Cade Powell or a Cade Cowell, um, and then b did some really nice work to get that cross away, uh, and 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 to create the goal. The second one uh, was was a lot of abobacy, You know, Espinosa gets released uh, in 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 the box to the byline, but what creates the space for Jamira Montero to just have the entire goal mouth to work with is Jeremy Ebobisi really crashing the near post. Uh, disrupting the, the Timbers, basically taking both Timbers center backs out of the play, um, by, by getting that flick on, uh, he doesn't get credited with the assist just because of how it came through. At least, uh, he hadn't been, uh, as of last I'd seen, that looks like one that deserves, deserves a look, but it's because he makes that near post run, uh, and because he beats, uh, the Timbers center backs to the ball and is able to get a touch on it, that, that the goal happens, um, And, uh, and so, you know, (laughs) the, the narrative of Jeremy above, uh, beating the Timbers, uh, doesn't get written just because of the way that worked out, but that's all really great striker play, especially that, that third goal that is phenomenal number nine work, uh, and phenomenal number nine work doesn't always just result in goals for the number nine, although that's important. And he's got a lot of them this year. Um, that's phenomenal number nine work and, and, and they got it. Uh, and frankly, I think, you know, notwithstanding the narrative, uh, if, if I'm a Timbers fan and I am, uh, I would be pretty jealous, uh, having watched that game with Jeremy Abobasi up top and I am, uh, so, you know, to, to run against the narrative slightly, I do think Jeremy, Jeremy of ate him up in that game. Um, and, uh, and you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a San Jose team that's in good form right now, uh, since getting rid of Matias Almeida, which they should have done a year and a year and a half ago um you know they they they've been in good form they're i think four one and two over that stretch uh for five team one and one you know the five one and one i think is is slightly wrong because it includes a u.s open cup quote-unquote win in oh. penalties uh at seattle which oh, should go in the record books as a
1: draw yeah no that doesn't count never mind uh <laughs>
0: so so you know there's some liberties taken with taken with five one and one but the the point remains regardless for a team that's otherwise a bottom of the table team, they've been in good form, which you often see uh after the coaching change. And so, you know, that, that's saying the Timbers weren't great in this game and I don't think they were. Um isn't to take credit away from San Jose. They're they're genuinely playing better. Um and and in this one I I, I thought, you know, uh in in terms of actual influence on the final scoreline, uh Jeremy Abobasi is my number 1 uh, in terms of who who influenced the result
1: for sure and and you know i think that from what i saw on twitter there were folks that were pleased with what they saw out of nathan Fogasa as the number 9 for portland um somebody who had had forced himself into positions and earned uh corners that uh led to scores um bill Loma is now and and has been the the leading scorer for this club which it's not it's great. Not great. I mean, good for Bill. Like good. No, <laughs> like yeah, that kicks ass. Nothing away from Bill. Bill, good job, Bill. Bill is not great for the team. Bill is a great guy and and has a good attitude and is a really fun player to to watch and a specialist really uh, in those spaces. Um. So you know you need somebody like that. But do you want him to be your leading goal scorer? No, you do not. No, you do not. You need you need somebody, uh, in in the attacking third that can finish those goals and do so on a consistent basis. Will Nathan start to do that? Who's to say? Uh, I don't think that he's going to be going to be repeating his, his brace uh, performance anytime soon. But uh, he, he seems like somebody who is of MLS caliber. He's he's um, he's definitely, you know, there were question marks about that um, with the signing. Is he just going to be kind of, you know, Filling in and and showing that he's not really fully ready. Uh, I think he's ready. I, I think that he's somebody that even when Yarrow comes back, um, depending on how he plays for the remainder of these games leading up to that return... Um, uh, he's somebody you have to give a look at in terms of being the, the legit fill in starter until Felipe Mora comes back.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I haven't seen anything that makes me want to sort of disrupt what we've seen in the last couple of games. Uh, I think it's worth a, a longer run out. And I, I agree that Nathan for as, as it seems like the Timbers recognized pretty early on, once they got him into, uh, into Portland, um, uh, looks like an MLS player. I don't know if he's an MLS starter or, or if he's a, or if he's a contributor, but he certainly looks like he's one of those. Um, and, uh, and so I, you know, I, I think we've seen a lot of Jaroslav Nishgoda um, and he sort of had his shot and I think it makes sense to sort of keep running with this uh, to see if Nathan can give you something more. I genuinely don't know the answer to that question yet, uh, but, but it's, I, I'm more interested in that question than I am uh, interested in whether Nishgoda can, can turn things around.
1: Right. And I think that Nishgoda is somebody who, who can absolutely be uh, a piece to, to move uh, once once the off season comes around, somebody that makes sense to move to open up a DP spot. Um, or the summer window, yeah, Let's, in the, the we, summer we, window. We don't have
0: to wait till the winter.
1: No, we we don't have to wait till that long. Uh, it it can very much uh, and probably will happen this summer. Um, and, and that is kind of a transition into into my hot take. We're gonna we're gonna have a nice little hot take section for you this week, folks. Uh, we've been, we should
0: probably keep it brief, given how how long we droned on about yeah. Like, titanic and
1: stuff and avatar and stuff yeah so we'll keep (laughs) it brief um my hot take and and there may be a number of timbers fans who agree with me on this is that uh the big move in the summer should be for a defensive player uh it should if if you're going to make a big move a signing that is going to be a difference maker I, i think you look along that back line probably somebody at the right back position given how much Bonilla and van rankin have struggled Um, at that spot, um, that to me should be the biggest signing. I, I, I get the desire to have a big splash. Holy crap. This guy's amazing type of young striker, but, um, I think their money may be better served spent elsewhere. Uh, especially given that, you know, when he was healthy last season, Felipe Mora was a guy that was pretty dang reliable. I mean, if it weren't for him, uh they wouldn't have had a chance in m l s cup to uh to even get to the point where they were in penalties, you know so it's not just to isolate that one moment obviously before that he was he was solid as well, but um I think their money is best served on on the back line uh, when it comes to this summer
0: because I mostly just speak in sort of a like a stream of memes um uh, my response to that is why don't we have both? Um, I, I, you know, I, I think it's, uh, I, I I think you're right, uh, that the Timbers are going to need to make an addition on the back line right back is, is the, you know, sort of most glaring spot, uh, where, where that seems to exist. They also need to find more consistency in in central defense and at left back. But I I think a lot of that has been driven by injuries and COVID and suspensions, uh, and, and, and things like that. Um, you know, that, that need to get cleaned up, uh, and various people are, are sort of responsible for making sure they get cleaned up. Uh, But but yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the glaring one of, of where, where they, they need to make a move. I do think though, that the Timbers need to continue doing the legwork, at least to explore the possibility, uh, of a major signing in the attack, uh, in in the summer window, which would necessarily involve, um, Nishka to being, uh, being, uh, transferred elsewhere. Um, and I, I, I think that that remains something that they need to continue sort of doing the legwork on so that if they do get to July and uh, and, you know, maybe Nathan uh, doesn't sort of prove to be kind of the MLS caliber striker that, that we hope and expect him uh, to be based on early returns. Um, maybe Mora is going to be longer coming back. Maybe he's going to take some time to get in form, or maybe they just feel like they need, you know, a, a truly elite presence at number nine, uh, which I think is there's a decent argument for uh, given sort of the, the, the composition of the rest of the attack. Uh, I I think, uh, I, I think they, they need to continue to sort of, you know, kick the tires, uh, on, on, on the kinds of signings that would be that kind of thing in the summer. I agree with you that, you know, that there is a world in which that ends up not being the most sensible move, uh, to actually pull the trigger on. But I don't think we're going to know which world we're living in, <laughs> uh, until we're closer to the window.
1: Right. And I think there is, uh, there's definitely money there to, to be spent.
0: Yes. Which leads directly into my hot take, Uh, which is, uh, so, so I, I don't watch a ton of premier league mostly because, uh, I watch a lot of other soccer. (laughs) And so it's, uh, it's a little bit difficult to, to always work into the budget, but you know, I, I do sort of casually watch games as, as I can on, on, on Saturday and Sunday mornings and the like. Uh, and one of my favorite chants that you hear ever, every once in a while, I think it's my favorite chant It's my favorite chant in soccer, uh, when, when you hear it. Is uh, when you hear uh, supporters of a team, uh, and they're not happy with the personnel decisions uh, that have been made, and they're not happy with the investment uh, that comes in. Once in a while, you'll hear uh, the, the delightful chant of "Spend some bleeping money." Um, <laughs> I, I say bleeping only because this is a family show; family. Uh, they don't say bleeping uh, <laughs> in, in in real life. But I'll, I'll let you all fill in the blanks there. Um, and and. Uh, so to the Timbers, I say, spend some bleeping money. Uh, not really. <laughs> but but look, we we did have uh, the, the uh, twice a year uh, MLS salary drop uh, come out this last week. Uh, and as has been, the, the Timbers have been sort of slowly moving back in the total salary spend uh, category relative to other MLS teams uh, over the course of the last few years. But this time they're third to last in the league, 26th, um, which, you know, for sort of long-term followers of the Timbers, that is not how it used to be. The Timbers used to be reliably somewhere in the top third of that salary spend. And we do this every year, but we have to caveat this salary spend is not the only spend there. There are other things that, that the team spends money on transfer fees uh, and, and the like are the are the biggest one. And so this is only a partial picture, uh, of, of the Timbers overall spend just because they're not spending a lot on salaries. Doesn't mean that they aren't near or at the salary cap, um, largely because of just the way DP compensation works, uh, and and the like. And so it can both be true that the Timbers have a tight salary cap situation and that they're not spending a lot of money on salaries. And, you know, as, as sort of a third point, and this is very much what, what Gavin Wilkinson would say if he was, if he was here is that that's going to be a little bit variable. Your salary spend is going to be a little bit variable. And the Timbers salary spend right now is a little bit lower because they have a core that's been intact for a while. Right. So Sebastian Blanco is a, is, is a player who, for whom they don't have any uh, acquisition cost right now because they were signed him uh, after having him previously on a contract, you know, and and he's a, he's a player who's making 1.7 million who if signed by another team would probably be making more than that uh and they have a number of players like that who who are you know players that have been here for a while Diego Chara I mean if Diego Chara was signed two years ago by Real Salt Lake they'd be paying him a million plus bucks the Timbers pay him I think around 600 thousand if I remember that right uh and, and so you know that's that's all good and correct and and you can certainly have sort of kind of an ebb and flow in the amount that a team is is spending on salaries um that isn't necessarily reflective of the ambition that they're actually putting into their roster um all of that said the timbers can't make a habit of being you know in the bottom third of the league in terms of spending they don't have the academy to do it they don't have the domestic pipeline to do it um they can't make a habit of this and and so if this is a bleep that's fine um they, or if this is just sort of not a bleep, that's what goes into the chant. A blip. A blip? Yeah. If this is a blip, <laughs> that's fine. It might also be a bleep, but, you know, if this yes. is a blip, I, I don't think that's particularly troubling. Um, But if this is going to be how it is going forward, the Timbers are in for rough seas ahead. And to their credit, they've gotten results so far. Three finals in the last seven years. One MLS Cup one MLS's back trophy whatever that's worth. Um so the Timbers have gotten results. So it's not like the 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 low salary spend or or the the decreasing salary spend relative to the rest of MLS um has has you know been been hampering for 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 the team. But it will be if it continues sort of into the long-term future. Uh and so uh my hot take is spend some bleeping money. Um, uh, because I think the Timbers are going to have to if they want to remain competitive over the course of the medium and long term.
1: And we will see if they do. Uh, we'll look ahead to the summer as a potential opportunity for that. Uh, and that uh, will wrap it up for us today on Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, for Mr. Chris Reifer, I'm Ryan Clark. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review. Tell us how we're doing uh, tweet us if you have something nice to say or even if you have something mean to say uh, we'll read it and move on with our day uh, thanks again mean, for joining a us a mean
0: tweet segment would be kind of fun
1: mean tweet segment would be fun uh, I haven't gotten enough of them since most most Timbers fans are very uh, kind and you know level headed individuals so maybe well
0: I ag- I agree but not everybody would agree
1: not everybody would agree with that Uh th- yeah I'm just going to leave that there. Don't want to open up a can of worms, but uh, appreciate everybody for listening and we will see you next week.